Does anyone know what March 9th is every day annually? Probably not. It's called National Get Over It Day. It was created in 2005 by someone who was having trouble getting over problem, issue in his life. And the idea is that on that day, whatever, whatever you bear, whatever problems you have, whatever darkness is in your life, that's the day you just let go and you move on. That is actually one of our culture's answers to finding comfort in the midst of darkness. Get over it. Move on. Now, on on the positive side, I'll find something positive in it. It does recognize that our world and our lives are full of problems. It does recognize that there is darkness, that there is pain, that there is evil in our world. Now, the solution is where it's problematic for two reasons. Number one is get over it, trivializes the darkness and the pain and the evil that you and I experience. Some of you have experienced horrific evil. And get over it is a little bit of a slap in the face, a little bit of an insult, right? Here's the second reason why national get over it day is a problem. Not only does it trivialize evil, not only does it trivialize it, but it asserts that you can get over the darkness and the evil in your life through sheer willpower. Wake up on March 9th, snap your fingers, and with everyone else, lay it down and move on. There is no amount of willpower that can bring lasting comfort to your life. So where do you find comfort? Where is comfort found in the midst of Not once you get beyond it, but in the midst of darkness and evil. To answer this, we're going to look at darkness, what it is, and why it does produce fear, as David says. And then we're going to look at why you don't have to fear it and how you can find comfort. So let's start with the fear of darkness. First half of verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, this psalm is often read at funerals in the midst of death. But it's speaking of much more than just death. In fact, a more direct translation of the verse would read this way. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness. I will fear no evil. David is writing this psalm, as we've seen from his experience as a shepherd. Before he became king of Israel, he was a shepherd. And he's describing in verse 4 
the annual journey that shepherds would take with their sheep. In the winter, shepherds would be with their sheep in the lowlands, at the home ranch. But in the early summer, they would begin this annual journey. They would go through the valleys, out of the lowlands, through the valleys, up to the high ridges where they would find green pasture. And then in the early fall, when the snow began to settle on those high ridges, they would make the trek back down through the valley to the lowlands, to the home ranch, where they would stay for the winter. And David knew this journey well. In fact, when God called Samuel to anoint David as king over Israel, he wasn't home. He wasn't at the home ranch. He was high up in the hills. They had to go, go call for him to come home. So he knew this journey well. It was a journey through the valley, and it was a dangerous journey for a shepherd and his sheep. Because in the valley, there were canyon walls where wild animals would hide and, and attack. In the valley, there would be flash floods. Storms would come in, and, and flash floods would come. They had to fear avalanches. They had to fear rock slides as they brought their sheep through the valley. So it was a dangerous, it was a dangerous journey that they took. And David is using this metaphor of his experience as a shepherd to describe the valley of deep darkness, full of danger, that you and I walk through in this broken world. There are two forms of darkness, two forms of evil that are important to understand, that exist in this valley of deep darkness that you and I walk through. Now, let me start with the first one that is probably the most readily accessible, the most common one we understand, and that is external evil, external darkness. This is the evil, the darkness that exists in the world around you. So to give you a few examples, right, the sex trafficking industry right, that grooms and enslaves women and children, effectively destroying their lives, that, that's a, a darkness that can produce fear regarding our own loved ones, our own children, that it exists here in our city. Or the darkness of, of the prevalence of gun violence in our country that we've witnessed over the past several years of mass shootings that happen at schools, that happen at places of business, that happen at entertainment gatherings. And, and for some of you, when, when that kind of incident saturates the news, there's a fear of even leaving the house or maybe a fear of sending your kids to school. Right? You know the fear that that produces. Or in our digital world, there's the fear of predators that would steal your identity and drain your finances. Or there's the fear of predators that would groom children into very dark places through social media. There is real evil. There's real darkness in our world, and it produces fear. Now let me turn to the second form of darkness. And this one oftentimes gets overlooked. And that is the internal darkness. The internal evil that exists in our own hearts. Now some of you say, listen, I know there's imperfection in my heart, but it's not that dark. 
I mean, I don't have a black heart. Maybe off-white, maybe bordering on gray. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I haven't killed anyone. And the examples that you just read of external evil in our world, I would never do such a thing. My heart's really not that dark. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been surprised by your sin? Have you ever been surprised by actions in your life? Now, if you can't answer that, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought, maybe not said, but you've thought after doing something, I can't believe I did that. That's not me. That's so out of character for me. I mean, it was just an extenuating circumstance that caused me to do something that's not me. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who as an adult was an atheist who turned to Christ in faith at one point, in Mere Christianity, he gives us this really helpful illustration to demonstrate the darkness that exists in the human heart. He says, if you want to know that there's rats in your basement, you don't go to the basement door, clear your throat, say, I wonder if there are rats in my basement. I'm going to go check. Then jiggle the doorknob. Then slowly open the door and then turn the light on, clear your throat again, start walking down the steps and say, I think I'm going to check if there's rats in my basement. Finally get to the bottom of the steps, look around, see no rats and say, there's no rats in my basement. He says, no. You want to know if there's rats in your basement? You quietly go up to the basement door. You sling it open, you flip the lights on, you race down the stairs, and you watch the rats scurry away. That's how you know if you have rats in your basement. He goes on, based on this illustration, to say this. The excuse for most of my sinful moments that immediately springs to my mind is that the provocation, meaning what provokes me to do something, the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off my guard like a rat who didn't get enough warning. Now, that may be an extenuating circumstance as regards those particular acts. They would obviously be worse if they had been deliberate and premeditated. On the other hand, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. It's those moments of surprise in your life. It's those moments of, what did I just do? That reveal the darkness that's in your heart and the evil that is in your heart. Now, if you're anything like me, those moments can be scary. It can be scary to realize in those moments what you're actually capable of the darkness, the evil that can come out of you in those moments can be scary. So there's external darkness that we know well in the world, but there's internal darkness. 
And what David says about that valley of deep darkness, both external and internal, is he not only says that you don't have to fear it. It's one thing to not fear. He says you can actually find comfort in that darkness. Last half of verse four. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Where is comfort found in the midst of that darkness, external and internal? It's in the rod and the staff, which are symbolic of the protection of God and the guidance of God. Let's start with the protection of God. What's the protection that David speaks of using the shepherd's rod as a metaphor? Well, what was the shepherd's rod? It was basically a club. A shepherd would go dig up a young sapling of a tree and he would carve out the bottom of it where the trunk met the roots, kind of the the root ball, the larger mass of wood. He would carve that into this kind of smooth, round club of wood. And then the shepherd in his training would learn how to throw that club with speed and accuracy so that he could hit targets and he could hit. It was symbolic of the shepherd's strength, of his authority, of his power. And he would use that club for two main reasons. The first reason he would use it would be to ward off a predator. Wild animal attacks, he would throw the club to ward off a predator. But the second reason he would use the rod would be to throw it at a wandering sheep that was wandering off, to get that sheep to scurry back and to be in the fold. Now, those two purposes are the same twofold purpose that you see in the scriptures of the rod of God, of how the rod of God is used. So regarding external evil, we see in Psalm 2, it's a beautiful psalm that speaks of the the evil that rages in our world, of the darkness that rages through the nations, just the intense darkness and evil, it's a psalm that speaks of God's absolute protection against that evil. In the psalm, in psalm 2, God speaks of the anointed king, which ultimately he's speaking of his son Jesus. This is what he speaks of, of Christ ultimately. In Psalm 2.9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So the rod is used to protect you from external evil. God has absolute power over the evil and darkness in our world. But second in the scriptures, you see the rod of God used to protect you against the internal evil and the internal darkness in your heart. And we see that in Isaiah 10. Isaiah 10 speaks of God using the rod to discipline his people by sending them into exile. And actually in Isaiah 10, 5, it calls the nation of Assyria the rod of God, that God uses this foreign nation to take his people into exile with the ultimate purpose of drawing them back to himself. Where do you find comfort in the darkness? In God's protection. 
He protects you from external evil, and he protects you from internal evil. Now, let me address two questions that arise with this protection. First, in regards to external evil, you may hear me say, and you may hear the scripture say, God has absolute authority, absolute power over evil. He protects you against this external evil. Some of you have experienced horrendous moments of evil or darkness in your life. You may have that in your past, and you hear this and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. But in that moment in my life, doesn't seem like God protected me. The protection of God doesn't mean that evil will never touch you. The protection of God doesn't mean that you'll never have problems. The protection of God, like a good shepherd, means that his care is constant and vigilant over your life, such that, so much so that for anything to get to you, for anything to touch you, it first has to pass through his vigilant and constant protection. And therefore, if it does pass through his protection, it can only be ultimately for your good. Now, let me address a question that hits on the, the internal evil. Right, we looked at Isaiah 10. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament that oftentimes hardship in life, that hardship in life is the discipline of God. Hebrews 12 talks about that. So one of the questions that comes up in the midst of hardship, in the midst of darkness, oftentimes I hear it, is God punishing me? Is God punishing me? Because it certainly feels like it. Well, Hebrews 12, which says to endure hardship as discipline, goes on to say this in Hebrews 12, verses 10 through 12. But he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Punishment looks back. Discipline looks forward. Punishment looks back. It looks at sin and it deals with sin. Discipline looks forward to the sinlessness that will exist one day and shapes you towards that future. They're very different. You say, well, how, how do we know this? How do we know this to be true? How do I know that it's not punishment? Because it feels like it. It doesn't feel like discipline. It feels like punishment. How do I know if I'm in Christ that it's not punishment? Because Jesus Christ, God's anointed king out of Psalm 2, that has all strength, power, and authority, who yields, who holds, has held, does hold, will hold the rod of authority, the rod of strength, the rod of discipline, chose not to use it on himself. 
when he was on the cross to save himself. That, that rod of power, God's rod of power, Jesus, when he went through the valley of deep darkness in Gethsemane, and when he hung on the cross, he chose not to use that rod to come off the cross. He chose not to protect himself, that rod of protection, so that he could protect you from your sin, from your sin that would destroy you one day. That's how you can be confident that there's no punishment, because the question of, is God punishing me? There's no punishment left. It has been absolutely, completely exhausted on Jesus. So there's not even some punishment left that you have to wonder, is God going to punish me or not? It's gone. The only thing that's left is discipline, which is about forward-looking into shaping you, shaping you into Christ's image. I mean, think back to the imagery that David's using here. When a shepherd sees a sheep wander off and it's headed towards the cliff, or when the shepherd sees the sheep wandering to a, a poisonous weed, and he takes the rod of protection and he slings it at the sheep, ultimately, he's not doing that to discipline or to punish the sheep. He's doing that to discipline the sheep, to get the sheep to come back to the fold where life is found. And so it is with those of you who are in Christ. It's discipline. Hardship is God's way of, of moving you back towards him and back towards the body of Christ where there is life and where there's healing. That's why the rod of discipline from God that deals with the internal evil is comforting, it's not fear-producing. It's comforting, actually, because it's drawing you back to the place where you will find life. Bristlecone pines, they're a fascinating tree. They exist in the western United States, up in the mountainous regions, and they're actually a pine, type of pine tree that grows in very high altitudes, two or more miles above sea level. And they grow in, in very harsh conditions, but they live for thousands of years. And it's always been intriguing for researchers to, to figure out how do these trees, this, this far above altitude, where the conditions are really harsh, rocky soil, soil's not very good, light precipitation, and yet these trees flourish. And, and what they've found is that the reason that these trees flourish, they actually flourish because of the adversity, because of the harsh conditions. That because of the conditions, there's cells that are produced in the tree that open up many resin canals that allow the nourishment, that allows this, this wood to live for thousands of years. In fact, if a, if a bristlecone pine grows in richer conditions, you know, way down from altitude, richer conditions, they grow faster, but they die quickly and they decay. It's actually the harsh conditions that are the vital factor that make them strong and sturdy and, and, and live for so long. And so it is with God's discipline. God's discipline is forward-looking, protecting you from favorable conditions, 
favorable earthly conditions that might destroy you and exposing you to harsh conditions, hardship that will cause you to thrive. So where do you find comfort? In darkness, first in the protection of God. That's the rod. But second, in the staff of God. David doesn't just talk about the rod, but he talks about the staff. Now, what, what was the shepherd's staff, and what's this have to do with guidance? Well, the staff was a long, slender stick. And at the end, and this is the most common thing we associate with a shepherd, at the end was the crook or the hook on the end of the stick. And the shepherd would use this in a couple of ways. If a sheep started to wander off, the shepherd would take the stick and just press it against the sheep's side and give light pressure that would nudge that sheep back to the direction that he needed to go. Or if a sheep in chasing some green grass got caught in a kind of wild thorn bush and it got hold of the, you know, the wool and it was stuck, the shepherd would take the hook of the staff and, and bring it out so that it could move on. But the staff ensured that the sheep would move in the right direction, and the shepherd knew the destination. The shepherd knew exactly where he was taking the sheep, and he would use that staff to guide, to pull it out of a bush, to get it to that final destination. The staff of God is symbolic of the Spirit of God of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks of this in his last moments with his disciples before he would be crucified. He said a lot of things to them. And one of the things he said is in John chapter 16, verse seven. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Goes on to say in verse 13 of John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now to use the metaphor of the sheep, when the sheep wanders off, just starts kind of wandering off, and the shepherd uses the, the stick against its side, to nudge it back in the right direction, or the sheep that chasing green grass gets stuck in a bush, a thorn bush, and the shepherd pulls them back out and moves them forward. The sheep cannot wander off to the point of getting lost for good. The shepherd is constantly guiding, moving, getting the sheep in the right direction to get them to the destination. The, she the, the sheep cannot ultimately be lost for good because the shepherd is guiding. And that's the imagery that David is giving us here of the guidance of God through his spirit. And you say, why is this comforting? Why is this comforting? Let me answer this by getting to two points of application. First one. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding you, 
not just when you ask for it, but constantly guiding you, you can be confident that you can never step outside God's sovereign will. That the Spirit doesn't just guide you when you ask for it. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is always guiding you, and therefore, you can never step out God's so- outside God's sovereign will, or to use the sheep metaphor, you know, just be lost for good. You belong to God. You're one of his children in Christ. And so he's guiding you. I said it last week. You can step outside of God's revealed will. You and I do it every day. Every day by sinning. We step outside of God's revealed will all the time. You cannot step outside of his sovereign will. You say, well, why is that comforting? How many of you have ever had to make a major life decision and you've been full of anxiety over, what if I make the wrong decision? What if, I, what if I choose B instead of A, and B lands me outside of God's will? Oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? The rest of my life is ruined. Now what happens when you feel that anxiety of a decision? It usually leads to paralysis. You just get paralyzed. I, I, I can't make this decision because there's so much at stake. When you understand the constant guidance of the Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit, and you understand that you you can, as God's child, step outside his sovereign will, then you're faced with a major life decision and you use the resources of his revealed will, his word, to make a wise decision but you make the decision, you move on. Because there's an assurance that I can't step outside of God's sovereign will. The Holy Spirit is constantly guiding you even when you're not asking for it. Just like the shepherd is guiding the sheep at all times, getting them to the destination. Now, second second reason why the constant guidance of the Holy Spirit is a source of comfort. And this one's gonna speak more broadly to our culture that we live in. There was a TED Talk done by a secular psychologist. This was not a Christian psychologist. Secular psychologist, Barry Schwartz. And he titled this TED Talk, The Paradox of Choice. He said, many of us live by this unspoken but official dogma. Maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. And he goes on to say, the way to maximize freedom is to maximize choice. And so he gives the example of the local supermarket where there's 175 different kinds of salad dressing that you have to choose from. He says this is how life has become. We we, have the opportunity to, it seems, to invent ourselves every day, that we can wake up in the morning and decide who we want to be that day. There's just this whole litany of choices before us about who we are and what we can be. And then he ends his talk by pointing to a fishbowl that had two fish in it, and he says this. The truth of the matter is that if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, 
you don't have freedom. You have paralysis. If you shatter this fishbowl so that everything is possible, you decrease satisfaction. Everybody needs a fishbowl. The absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery and I suspect disaster. Everyone needs a shepherd. To go back to David's biblical metaphor, sheep without a shepherd, that's a disaster. That's a disaster because sheep will end up a bag of bones in destruction. Comfort. This is what David's speaking about. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. Comfort is not found in the absence of constraints or the absence of guidance where I can do whatever I want. Nor is comfort found in your constraints or your guidance. Comfort is found in the protection of God, secured for you by Jesus Christ, who chose not to protect himself on the cross, ultimately to protect you from your sin. And comfort is found in the guidance of God. The guidance of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. What valley of deep darkness in your life is producing fear? And where have you run or attempted to find comfort in that valley of deep darkness? Turn to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because protection, ultimately, and guidance are found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, to varying degrees, we all are in, have been, will be in a valley of deep darkness. And we confess how often we run for comfort, attempt to find comfort. Something, someone other than you, for those that are right now square in the valley of deep darkness, oh Father, by your Spirit, would you turn their eyes to you, to your son Jesus? Where they would be comforted, not because the darkness goes away circumstantially, but because they see your protection. And they see your guidance. And Father, your protection and guidance are absolutely trustworthy because you put on flesh and hung on the cross, chose not to protect yourself, to protect us from our sin and our idolatry and our darkness. Fathers, we close now 
in, in worship through singing? Would you, would you bring joy to our hearts? Even in the midst of the darkness, would you bring comfort? A deep comfort that doesn't come from our willpower. A deep comfort that comes from your spirit that comes directly from Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.